0: This is Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn practical strategies to drive consistent and predictable growth. Sam Bowley is a revenue operations executive, and in this episode, he shares strategies you can implement to drive more predictable growth. Specifically, you'll learn how you can leverage your company's data to make better business decisions and increase revenue, how your marketing team can use insights from churned or retained customers to improve their strategy, and how you can do a sort of RevOps 101 even if you're a small B2B company, or you don't have a dedicated professional on your team. I hope you enjoy it. It's hey, Sam, thank you so much for coming on Metrics and Chill. Uh, thanks for being willing, like I said, to jump on uh, last minute. And this is a role, uh, you know, you serve a role that I'm really excited to learn more about, to talk more about. Uh, typically on the show, when we talk about driving predictable growth, a lot of the lessons or insights are coming from founders from CEOs and from marketing leaders. So you'll be the first sort of RevOps pro that we've uh, had. And the more I've learned about the role and the more I've studied it, the more I'm like, I think this is kind of the role you know, for the show. Um, so we, we probably need to get some more folks on. So for those who are unfamiliar, can you give you know kind of the 30 second summary of what, what in your mind is the purpose of RevOps? What's the function of the role and what does a good RevOps leader help uh, companies do?
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And uh, it's a great question. I think uh, RevOps is one of the, is kind of a, a du jour role that's uh, become popular over the last three to five years. And in my mind, RevOps kind of oversees the entire customer lifecycle journey. And if you think about it like an umbrella, it's got three primary pillars there's marketing ops, there's sales ops, there's CS ops. And they all fall underneath one kind of viewpoint of making sure that everything from awareness to um, renewal all occurs. And I think uh, RevOps also has to speak a, a healthy language of finance ops as well.
0: Okay. So effectively, if, if I'm a, you know, I think we probably have a lot of B2B SaaS listeners. So, and I know that's, you know, you're, you're deeply experienced in that. So, If I'm a B2B SaaS founder, what I'm looking for, the value RevOps brings to me is I've got, everyone thinks about the funnel performance in terms of marketing, you know, how, how we're doing from top of funnel to bottom of funnel, what our conversion rates are and all of that. And then typically sales gets reported separately and then customer service, if tracked at all is sort of like, what's our average response time, you know uh, you might look at things like churn or retention or whatever you are kind of overseeing all of that and you view the time a customer is maybe top of funnel in marketing through the sales funnel. And then, it, you know, either churns or retains or upgrades in CS, you're tracking that entire life cycle and you're looking for where are there opportunity, opportunities for improvement? Where are there maybe like red flags or dips or you're performing below average? Um, and so you're trying to drive holistic revenue growth in those three verticals.
1: Absolutely, because one of these things can affect everything else, right? And so a lot of times you'll see marketing ops is focused on that, you know, MQL to SQL optimization or maybe you've got a good marketing team and they're focused deeper into the funnel in terms of pipeline growth or even even win rates. And then your sales to CS, you're looking at, you know, the handoff and, retention, but you know, honest, really good revenue operations will look at of the customers that renewed, what was their journey, and how do you feed that back to marketing to repeat and iterate the process so that it's not just which are the customers that we win, but also which are the customers that we renew? How do we maximize that? And how can every step along the way increase that performance?
0: Okay, that's an area I'd love to focus in. Uh, that's an area that excites me a lot. so let's let's start there. Um, when you are identifying, so uh, let me make sure I've got it the right way. So so you're looking at cohorts of customers, maybe every quarter, every six or 12 months or whatever the frequency level would be of people that you would consider your best customer, people that have upgraded or retained with you a certain amount of time. And then you are identifying qualitative and quantitative, I'm guessing, uh, uh, you know, factors about why, like qualitatively, like what did they come, what problems did they come to solve? What did they articulate wanting to solve in the sales calls? Um, and then quantitatively, maybe size of company revenue, size, things like that. And then you're continually honing in the journey that they took specifically to get there, and that's all going back to marketing. In order for marketing to, um, is it refine the ICP? Are they refining their messaging and their targeting? They're overhauling, like website, like continually refining the language that the people like. How how I guess how holistic or widespread is is this feedback that marketing is getting? I mean, it should be
1: in lockstep right is that revenue operations is there to break down all of those walls so that the communication can flow freely and then back everything up with data so it's it's as you said you're looking at your customers and you're going okay of the customers that churned why did they churn and where can this knowledge be applied backwards up the funnel of the customers that expanded and renewed what why And where can we take that information and push it back up the the knowledge chain? And yes, there is a lot of ICP refinement. There is a lot of website um, um, efficiencies that can be created to to close up those knowledge gaps or to improve the the communication. Any and all of that is is something that revenue operations should be looking at. one of the fears that I, I see a lot in revenue operations is that it's just a renomenclature of sales operations, but that mm-hmm. misses the bigger picture is that you're well versed in marketing terminology, you're well versed in sales terminology, you're well versed in CS terminology, you're also very well versed in business acumen because you have to look at at all of these things and you have to be able to to speak the language of all of those different stakeholders and manage up effectively as well.
0: How, how, like, what do you think makes a good, um, I know know, we talked, uh, People are, you, like I put out a post and within minutes, uh, you know, someone who I trust and respect a lot to it, to, to give good guest recommendations surfaced you, you're getting a lot of, you know, love and praise LinkedIn. So s- someone like like you, like, is it a, it seems like you'd have to be fairly cross-trained in different functions. Do good rev ops professionals, are they slightly more entrepreneurial than other roles? Have they, are, or are they people that have just served in marketing and sales and CS at various times or what do you think makes, uh, what are the attributes? Cause it feels like a really abnormal or hard to find for like a really good role. Like it seems like someone who's able to kind of talk product and product marketing, um, who's able to understand sales, but also marketing, like being the go between, between those three departments, seems like it would be a rare find. So where are these people typically coming from? How are they gaining the experience?
1: Well, I think Trawl by Fire is certainly certainly one way. I've been doing this uh, since 2009, you know, and I was a sales rep before that. So, you know, lot, clearly 14 years in the trenches is one thing. But more than that, uh, even the younger RevOps people that I talk to or or try to help mentor or whatever, there is a natural curiosity.
0: They continue
1: mm-hmm. to ask why. Why did this happen? What does that impact? Why did that happen? And as you start to peel back those layers, it uncovers more things. And so you're not you're not just a spreadsheet junkie, right? You're looking at the data and you're asking why is the data the way that it is, and what impacts that. And then you continue to to pull on those strings until you follow the thread all the way through.
0: So the um, you mentioned you know identifying lessons from churned or retained customers and passing them back up to marketing, are you also passing, you know, if they've, assuming they've gone marketing, um, I know it's not quite this clean in all organizations, but assuming they went from marketing to sales, to customer service, are you passing in any applicable insights or ideas to each of those verticals back up along the way to marketing? Like is part of the role saying, Hey, it seems like people can a lot of people who churned came trying to solve this problem. We don't currently solve it, but we think a feature like XYZ or a, a new tool that we could roll out would solve this problem. Like, are you making product recommendations? Are you seeing maybe areas where it, in CS, where, um, hey, actually the product does do this. And a lot of people churn thinking it didn't have this functionality. So we need to, we need to boost our help docs. Like, are, are you dropping those insights on the way back up or is it primarily just connecting back up to marketing?
1: Um, I think it's, I haven't had the, 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 the pleasure to say that I'm feeding a lot of information back to product per se.
0: Okay. I
1: would say, um, in a lot of situations, you're finding out that like, Hey, um, customers are churning because we're single threaded. And when our point of contact leaves, we're left championless. And so, we need to do a better job in CS becoming multi threaded. We need to do a better job during the sales process of starting off multi threaded. And then you feed that back up to marketing and go, we need to do a little bit more work for air coverage for people beyond just the decision maker. So, you know, we've learned over the course of the recession that finance is more heavily involved. And so, We take that learning and we apply it to go, we need to have, we need to do air coverage from a marketing standpoint to to educate finance CFOs about who we are so that when our contract comes across their desk, it's not an unknown commodity, right? So Mm -hmm. I would say that's more along the lines of current learnings as opposed to, you know, uh, refinement of product as it goes uh, in.
0: Okay. Which would typically be, I guess, product marketing or product managers um, would be like Could a be, unique focus. Yeah. Okay. Um, so if a company is listening and maybe hasn't yet adopted RevOps as a department or as a role, but listeners in B2B want to start implementing some of these practices, what would be like one or two kind of takeaways that so maybe like a, a really driven marketing leader or a sales leader, or, e- you know, even the founder or CEO of a smaller company would be able to do what, what are the, what are the questions? I, I guess, when are you asking the customers who churned the customers who retain, what are you looking at? Let's start there. When you're, I, th- that's the first distinction you noted. These churned, these retained, um, are you filtering them by any kind of like we only want to look at the people that have retained at x revenue or upgraded this many times or is it is it kind of that basic like these churned these upgraded and paid us for more than x amount of time so we can learn from them i think you
1: start really small and you see what the data tells you and you don't go in with any kind of of preconceived hypothesis that you're trying to solve for so in my particular situation uh, most recent situation is we were sitting on a plethora of product usage data, just tons of it. And so you look at the product usage data and you go, well, what does this tell me? And you start to break it down by cohort. These are the customers that renewed. And these are the customers that didn't renew. And you just look at their product usage data and you, and if you can trend it over time, you can go, oh, when you start to see this drop off, right here is when we should have done something, right? Or customers that expanded, look at this, this this trend line looked noticeably different. And here is the inflection point from where it became different from new onboarded customers that eventually churned. And you start to look at these things, you know, just very simply. And then you start to peel back even further to go of the customers that renewed, how can I segment them differently? Of the customers that churned, how can I segment them differently? And do I see any differences in the trend line and you take those learnings and you try to piecemeal it into something that you can uh, tell a, a data-backed narrative with, and you start to you start to share that knowledge across anybody and everybody that will listen um, and try to to implement change. Especially if you can look at this and go, okay, you know, customers really get their sea legs underneath them after four months of onboarding. And that's where we see the inflection point of likely to churn or likely to renew, right? So what is it about that four-month mark that is so critical? And you you share that with the CS team to go, we got to be buttoned up by month four. Or what can we do to get that, you know, onboarding down to, to three months instead of four months? Or you feed it back to marketing and go the customers that renewed and expanded, this was the journey that they came in through and the customers that churned, you know, 60% of them came through this journey. I don't know if that journey needs to be refined, but it is data that's worth sharing with somebody else so that doesn't sit within a silo. Okay. And so you just start small and you just start to 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 look for trends and see what you can uncover.
0: Now, obviously Um, I'm already like detecting, there's a ton of experience that comes into play to know what questions to ask, to know what threads to kind of pull at as you investigate. But is there a common set of questions or when you think about, I guess, like what, what would a really basic, if one, if such a one is possible, what would a basic framework be for someone who's not super experienced, like you are well-versed in this? Would it be like, you know, first decide whether you're looking at retention or churn, look at like, so look at the decision point, focus on the decision point. And then what are they, what are some common things that they're looking at to kind of get at some of those insights? Like what would be some common threads to pull at if someone were fairly new to this and wanted to like explore what might be going on that's causing a churn issue at their company, or maybe they want to, you know, increase retention rate or something?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, If you if you are still, if you're early stage SaaS, you're probably still trying to figure out product market fit. If that's the case, I would start to look at things like what industries are common. Maybe you don't have a good industry fit, or maybe you do have a great industry fit. Um, employee size, annual revenue; those are kind of synonymous with each other. Um, it's easier to get employee size than it is to get annual revenue. But uh, who was the decision maker like how high up in the food chain did we go when we were selling the product and or renewing the product right those are three simple things that if your crm data is the least bit accurate you should be able to get that information and and start to do some rudimentary analysis you know is my churn happening mostly in the healthcare and my renewals are happening or great in telco that's something right um is my churn happening mostly in under a hundred employees and my expansion is happening mostly in over a thousand employees that's something um and my is my primary point of contact for renewals at director level or higher and for churn it's manager level or lower these are simple things that you can find out very quickly to just do you know some some easy analysis to then go back to somebody and go hey look we got to be director level or higher if we want to improve our retention rates or we should stop focusing on the healthcare vertical or if we're dead set on the healthcare vertical maybe we need to change some of our messaging like these are all things that can be done these are questions that are simple to ask and can and can yield very quick turnaround results
0: hey just a quick interruption in past episodes you've heard guests give advice like the first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental,
1: but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like what's happening in the funnel? It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data in GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or
0: it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth, and they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. Yeah, it's perfect. Thank you. Um, I'm curious how you think about this like it's it seems like there's broad I'm sure there's more than this but I'm trying to think off the top of my head there's broad categories of reasons of why people would churn from a product so one might be you know into like wrong like I'll say wrong firmographics so wrong industry wrong employee size you just not meant for them the other though could be like experienced a bug or like bugs that you know that they didn't articulate or the product lacked what they thought it could solve, or they didn't get enough buy-in. Um, so besides those basic ones, how what are some ways that people can determine um the actual like cause of churn at a company? Uh,
1: my favorite way is to ask.
0: Okay. Right? is
1: that, and sometimes they won't give you an honest answer and it just is what it is. Like people don't want to hurt your feelings or <laughs> it's easier to ghost you than it is to, to be confrontational. And that's fine. Like I get it. But if you can survey customers or you can survey ex customers, not anonymously, but like say, hey, look, I'm with the product team. I know you recently churned. We're always trying to make the com- the company better, make the product better. Can we set up a five minute or fifteen minute phone call, or will you fill out this five question survey, or um, you know, even if the CS team when they're or the AM team or whoever's handling renewals, even if there's a pick list of choices, you know, when they close lost the opportunity, close lost the renewal, is to go. You got to pick one right? Mm -hmm. What was the one? And then you start to bucket it. And then you do further diagnostics, like anywhere and everywhere that you can, that you can capture data that makes you better without making all of your go-to-market team Salesforce admins, I think you have to do it, right? You have to find that balance between, you know, what is enough data to make cogent business decisions and what is too much of an ask of the of your go-to-market team that they're just doing admin work you find that line and then whatever you can you maximize the hell out of it
0: right okay. that's what you got to do and how often are you um looking at like are you doing this kind of continually week in week out as just pulling sample data to kind of continually feed like a trend like a i'm kind of thinking of like a you know line that's continually moving up or down and you have like a you're constantly on the pulse of it are you doing it in cohorts based like every six months or every quarter like is is there like a too frequent to look at it and or too infrequent how how should people think about this
1: i wish i could say that i looked at it as regularly as i should but a lot of times uh rev folks um if they're listening to this will tell you that they get bogged down in a lot of tactical work sure and and not enough time to do the strategic work that they would like to be doing um I would say that every six months is probably the right frequency, unless there is um, some sort of titanic shift in the business operations, but you need enough. If you're going to feed data back upstream, you have to have enough time for things to change, even if it's just iterate and then propagate that downstream with more data. So if you're only bringing on, I don't know, 100 new clients per quarter, you have to give those clients time to onboard and potentially renew. And then you look at what happened the last time we made changes, like you can't measure it too frequently because you have to give it enough time to bake. But if we're looking at trend lines uh, specifically associated with like churn and upsell, I think six months is probably a good, you know, frequency cadence in order to relook at and and make recommendations.
0: Yeah, it makes a ton of sense, especially as you you know, you know mentioned feeding a lot of information back up to marketing. So some of the examples you gave are, maybe they take a more strategic ABM approach or they update their go-to-market messaging that they're taking out on paid platforms or social and the website. Like that takes a number of months for that to begin to sink in and, and trickle in. And there's gotta be enough data to make it statistically worth it, I guess. So Correct. Um, statistically relevant, so. Um, what is the balance that you're looking at of quantitative versus quality? Like, I know a lot of the stuff you mentioned can be pulled from data tools and things like that. Where does qualitative come into play? Like, are you ever is this role ever getting on the phone with customers? Are you listening to sales calls? What do you, What do you think is like the right blend there? I would say that if your customer if you're
1: comfortable with making calls, you should absolutely do that. Uh, listening to customer calls, hundred percent. If you've got Gong or Chorus or something like that. You, you absolutely need to be lear- listening to to anything and everything that you can just in order to, to understand how the customer journey works in general. Um, but outside of that, like qualitatively, I mean, I talk to reps all day, every day, right? I'm talking to CS teams. I'm listening on on calls and I go in with the mindset of, I'm listening for trends, right? Mm. These three CS people said the same thing. What was it? And is that something that I can do do something about? Or these AEs all said something similar over the course of conversations. I need to find out, I need to follow up on that. It could be something that is impeding their sales process. And maybe that's something that RevOps needs to look at for creating an efficiency. It could be, you know, a new competitor has has entered the marketplace and that's something that needs to be shared across collaboratively. I mean, RevOps's job, like my philosophy on RevOps is it's like um, referees in a sports game. If, if the game is going well and you don't notice the the referees, that's great. Right. But if Mm -hmm. that's because they're doing everything in the background behind the scenes that, Makes everybody else more efficiently and has a great time. Whereas if you're constantly seeing the refs, it slows down the game, it becomes terrible to watch, et cetera. Analogy, 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 right? So in this situation, like whatever RevOps can do to make all of the go to market team better is something that RevOps should consider doing. And that could that mean calling customers or calling churn customers? to find out what went wrong could it be optimizing um automation and efficiencies up and down the process yes absolutely any and all of the above
0: okay and will that involve things like the like is it fair to say it's the whole of the go to market strategy so will it be pricing and packaging will it be the way that we uh, the the sales journey that they go through, or is it again like pr- similar to like you don't you're not as involved with product? Is it primarily tied back up to marketing?
1: If if your rev ops person is comfortable with pricing, they should be involved in pricing, um, okay? Because it affects so many pieces of the puzzle. Like if there's obviously if there is um, a configure price quote tool somewhere in the tech stack. RevOps is probably owning the tech stack. They need to be involved in pricing just to be able to say from the simple standpoint of what we can and can't do from an automated standpoint, right? Um, But also from the analysis of if we make these pricing changes, this is what's likely to occur for customers that are up for renewal next quarter, the quarter after that. And you're looking into the future about what your potential risk is for a new pricing model. Sometimes that sits with finance. Sometimes that sits with RevOps, but it should absolutely sit somewhere and it should be cross collaborative with, with everyone. Right. Um, um, what was the other example you talked about besides pricing? Um, oh, yeah.
0: Um- yeah, what was it? It was pricing and packaging, and oh, like like um. So I, I'm <laughs> I'm thinking of really specific like micro examples I've seen on LinkedIn, like. But for example, we've had a couple of people on the podcast talk about the, you know, pretty significant increases in conversion and revenue or pipeline they've seen, from things like finding that there's a ton of inefficiency in their booking flow. Like people are having to jump through hoops to talk to an AE and let's just shortcut, like, let's improve some of our, our, uh, the content on our website. We'll ungate some things that maybe an SDR used to have to tell people. And then we're going to let people go direct to an AE, like through a booking form and, you know, let them book directly with them. And that yielded this amount of increase. So would it be, would it be little things like that? Even I guess like the, the way sales process or things like that.
1: I would say yes. I mean, if you have a if you have a top-notch marketing a top-notch marketing ops person that is overseeing all of that, that's fantastic. If you don't have a top-notch mops person, um, but you've got a, you know, a sales ops person or some sort of ops person, they should be looking at that as well, right? Like any okay. of these efficiencies where there is an impediment to the sales process, somebody whether you call that person revenue ops, sales ops, marketing ops should be looking at it to try to maximize it. Um, And if you are in a robust org that has revenue ops, and there are pillars of sales ops, marketing ops, CS ops, and they're all working, you know, cross collaboratively, then that handshake should be, should be everywhere. Because when you, for example, like when you when you uh increase this efficiency by allowing prospects to work directly with aes there has to be some yeah that might increase conversion rate but what are the other downstream effects of that are those opportunities do they have a shorter sales cycle do they have a longer sales cycle are they talking to the right person is does the ae have to go find power within that opportunity because the sdr didn't initially find power and then How does that affect win rates? Are we Hmm. bloating the AEs pipeline because now they have a bunch of ops, but only half of them are as well-qualified as they used to be? Or is it the complete inverse of that? Is like now they have fewer ops, but they're all more highly qualified. And you have to look further down the funnel in order to get that information. And then you have to share it all back together. So somebody, again, I'm agnostic on what the official title is, But somebody needs to look end-to-end, not just we're improving this core conversion metric and we stop here. You also have to look how what did that mean down here and then how do I feed that back up there?
0: Yeah, that's something that I feel like so many companies miss. I was talking about that in my interview with Benjamin Elias and we were saying how he called it like a constellation of data points, which I love the analogy and how oftentimes you'll find that When one team goes to take an action, it might affect all these data points over here. And there needs to be this holistic view of like when all the tides rise or drop or, you know, what's happening in these various things. And oftentimes when teams are too siloed, it's like, okay, all we're responsible for is leads or all, you know, we're responsible for is demos booked or whatever. So they do whatever it takes to hit those. But the things they're doing to move that specific number might be causing harm, you know. De- like later down the funnel. So it seems like this role, you know, I've often thought about, you know, marketing leaders having a, a more comprehensive vision, but this is even wider than that, which I love, which is like, hey, you know, when you're doing these things or like, hey, we noticed these numbers dipped, what happened? And I'm guessing you're, you know, probably talking to to sales leaders, to marketing leaders and you're finding, oh, okay, your team did this. Well, that probably correlated in, in this, you know, dip over here. And it just seems like an utterly crucial thing or else it seems like you're kind of, you, you orgs are maybe at risk of kind of constantly chasing their tail. Like one team does something to move the number that they have, that they're getting graded on, but then like dips are happening later, maybe quality, you know, of leads is going down over here, right. Or retention rates are going down because there's a promise that that's not being delivered. And so it, it's really clear to me how important it is to have someone who oversees all of it and kind of, you know, to Benjamin's point, uh, has a good view of the constellation of all those data points.
1: I think that's a great analogy. Yes, 100% agree.
0: Um, okay, so I want to be respectful of your time. I've got two more questions. One one is, um, and, and this may be, this is an ignorant question because I'm not as familiar with the role. When you're looking, when you're sort of zooming out and you've got this 30,000 foot view, I, I mean, I guess you go more granular than that, but when you're looking at you know, marketing performance, sales performance, CS performance kind of on a continuum and you see how it all fits together. How are you identifying what's good or bad? Like, are you relying on industry benchmarks for that? Are you, is it coming from measuring it against historical performance? Like, I guess what I'm wondering is how do you, how do you know what, like, when is a number red flagging to you? Like maybe something's going on in CS, in the CS process where, Hey, this number is lower than we'd like it to be. This is a red flag this quarter, or this cohort of six months, or this marketing or sales number dipped. Is are these numbers that you're asking the leaders to report you on and tell you what's good or bad? Are you going off industry benchmarks? And conversely, how do you know how much growth you can maximally expect out of them? So if you're saying, you know, th- this is what this is what these sales numbers are, these CS numbers are, how do you know? what you can ask of the teams to drive further performance versus where they're kind of at the top of, of the limit and they're kind of maxed out
1: um i wish there was one answer that fit the whole question but a lot of it is it really depends um
0: that's okay that's an answer we get here a lot from marketers so uh
1: and i would say that you know my common the thing that I fall back on the most is, does it just pass the eyeball test, right? Is like, okay, we know we want to next quarter we or next year, we want to grow X percent, okay? If we want to grow X percent, that means it's a delta of Y from where we finished. And if you build kind of a bottoms up model, that means we need to hire, you know, eight additional sales reps in the first half of the year. Okay. Does that pass the eyeball test? Eight is a lot. Um, and you also have to enable them. You have to have, you have to build pipeline for them. And so you just kind of look at it and go, does it make sense? And mm-hmm. you, you gauge it from that standpoint first. Um, also, you know, you've been doing this a while and you can ask some people and it's like, Hey, Mr. Sales Rep, it looks like you're juggling 60 opportunities at one time. That feels like a lot. And they'll go, yeah. yeah, that's a lot. It's like typical enterprise AEs, they can juggle 20 to 30 opportunities, you know, and if it's even more strategic, it's fewer. So like, are some of these real Are some of these not real or is your pipeline so legit that we need more headcount? You can look at some of these things and just kind of go. Does does it pass the eyeball test? And that's a good starting point to to pick at those strings.
0: Okay, yeah, that's actually it. Reminds me, um, I had Adam Goyette on, who was VP of Marketing at Help Scout and other companies now as a growth consultant, and he said something very similar. Specifically, though, just on the marketing niche, he said. Um, he was sharing like his go-to strategy is is to kind of draw up the marketing pipeline as granular as possible, like every single stage that's going on in marketing. And then looking at the performance of each single stage. And then his eyeball just goes to like, what's the best performing number and what's the worst performing number. And like, just with experience and kind of some common sense, most marketing leaders, he said, you know, are able, like, it's not super complicated. In other words, there's no like complicated formula. It's just, this is the lowest performing number. Let's see if we can raise it. And then this is the best performing number. Let's see if we can double down on it. So it sounds like this is something similar, like with very, very a good similar, degree yeah. of experience. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, all right, before I let you go, my last question, uh, and this is kind of a fun opening one, you can take it wherever. Uh, on your on your intake form um, through Coundly, you mentioned uh, you had a sentence which I really liked. I'm gonna try and paraphrase it. It was something to the effect of data is everything. Um, but it needs to be used carefully or needs to be interpreted carefully. Can you like unpack, I guess my mind goes to, um, we've obviously talked a ton about the importance of data. We do that a lot on this show. What are some ways that maybe companies can tend to abuse it or or where do they tend to err with it? Where do they maybe need to be careful uh, with like a data first approach with all the things that we talked about?
1: Yeah, no, that's uh, outstanding insight. Great question. Um, Where you get into trouble is when you look at a singular data set and you make decisions on it in a vacuum, right? Um, Classic example in sales is win rate, right? Of all the opportunities that a sales rep won, what was their win rate? or the, of all the opportunities that a sales rep closed, excuse me, what was their win rate? And then you stack rank the reps based off of win rate, right? Well, that's certainly a way to do it, but that is a very much of a loaded gun narrative. There's all sorts of things that go into that, like how are territories aligned? Did everybody get an equal share? You know, what was the ramping time of some of the new reps? Or is everybody selling the same product? There's all sorts of underlying questions that go into that single data set that if you make a decision in a vacuum can lead to false results. And so what i meant by that is when when you when you oversee all of the data and you you package it up and you craft the narrative and you you send it somewhere else you have to be you have to remember that there are always humans on the other side of that excel spreadsheet. And if you are not cognizant of that humanity, you could be doing a bunch of disservice instead of providing the best um, analysis possible.
0: Mm, okay. This has been an awesome interview, Sam. Thank you so much for unpacking the role. I feel like you know, there's a lot of really practical strategies even b2b leaders without a RevOps pro like you are able to kind of go implement or at least like start to think through uh you know when they analyze their data so thank you for being so generous to share all the insights um where can people go to kind of follow along with your thought leadership if they're interested in chatting with you more is there a website linkedin where do you want them to go
1: i am uh, i'm all over linkedin you can find me at Sam Boley on linkedin and uh, happy to connect happy to to open the DMs, happy to, to share knowledge and just, like you said, a rising tide lifts all boats.
0: Okay, awesome. Thanks so much, Sam. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox, free at databox.com.